Hello, everyone. Welcome to Fly the Coop. I am your host, Carrie Ann Carter. After 22 years in the real estate business, I've seen my fair share of people, stories, and experiences fly the coop in one way or another. This podcast is all about telling those stories. Let's jump into the coop. Welcome back, everybody, to Fly the Coop. We are so excited to have you with us today. We are with a, an amazing, amazing personality who's well-known all over the country and world, Ron Lynch. He's a philanthropic success story, a filmmaker, a writer, a creator, a chef, a father, a husband, and an amazing personality that Steve and I had the opportunity to meet several years ago and has been inspirational for us. Welcome, Ron. We're so glad to have you here with us today. I'm I'm glad to to be here, and uh, I'd add we're great friends and have been for some time now, which has been very impactful and meaningful to me. I really enjoy the personal company and the digital company. Whenever we get together online or in person, I really enjoy you guys. Yeah, it's just in first meeting you, uh, Steve and Ron met at a mastermind many years ago. And through an inspiration, we uh, brought Ron up to the Twin Cities to do a collaboration. And through that, uh, through a conversation we actually had uh, sitting down for dinner, uh, Ron, I'm going to let you share that story because your story is, to me, so inspirational to so many. Um, You have had an amazing wild ride of a life, and it's fascinating to listen to. So let's let you have the stage here. Well, I appreciate that. It's interesting to me because most of it was by accident, but most of it was also by action. And, you know, I'll frame this by saying, if I think the lesson comes up front in the story, and then hopefully I prove it out in what I tell you, is that, that taking risks and taking the smallest actions that other people aren't going to take is simply making a choice to go through the maze in a way other people don't go through the maze. Mm-hmm. And if you make those kind of brave and courageous and simple choices, interesting things happen. Yeah, they sure do. So, so yeah, maybe if I write a book someday about it, it'd be called "Interesting Things Happen." Um, I I grew up in you know my in Seattle, Washington. My parents, my dad was a school teacher. My mom worked uh, in the art fine arts field, sometimes as a receptionist, sometimes as a salesperson. And uh, so we were, we were not bequeathed with wealth. I grew up in a very kind of very middle, middle, lower middle class, Irish Italian neighborhood in Seattle, which is now uh, kind of a fancy neighborhood just because of gentrification. It mm-hmm. wasn't at the time. I worked at the, I started working at a pancake house when I was 13. Uh, cause that, that's how much money we didn't have. So I, so I worked in a, in a grocery store uh, you know, worked my way up from carrying groceries out to cars to being uh, a checker to being a department manager and went to college at the same time. Now, wow. this is pretty mundane life. And uh, I'd always had visions of wanting to be an actor. And one of my coworkers, who is still one of my best friends today, invited me to an audition for a film. And we drove two hours to a military base out in the middle of nowhere in Washington. And I auditioned for a film that Robert Altman was directing. And so I ended up getting this role in this movie. Um, and uh, Jeff Daniels was in the movie and Peter Gallagher and Eric Bogosian. So it had it had prominent character actors in the film. And I, I got a SAG card. So I, I balanced my life for the next few years of going to college 
acting in movies when they would come to Seattle because I was one of the few people my age that had a SAG card. Uh, Brendan Fraser, incidentally, was the, like one of the other guys. Wow. Uh, and um, I had I happened to, you know, got to play opposite a few interesting people. Like I got a role with Shirley MacLaine. I got a role where I um, played opposite River Phoenix. Um, and so I, I kind of had this neat environment of learning how to make films as a vocation I was getting paid for occasionally, working in a grocery store and going to school. Amazing. And eventually one of those had to win and it was working in the grocery store because it paid the bills the best. Mm -hmm. So I, I worked my way up in grocery stores in the type of markets that were, I'll say, ruddy stores that were gentrified and turned into fancy stores like Whole Foods. This mm -hmm. company that I worked for was really an expert in creating really great food experiences in the grocery environment. In the context of that store, there was a cooking kiosk where we did demonstrations and I would hang out at that cooking kiosk and help the chef sometimes and I had a, a great curiosity about that. Well, I worked my way up through management of the store and eventually I got a job in the industry going in and doing turnarounds in stores, taking unprofitable stores and taking these techniques of in, in deploying better foods and better management and turning them around. Mm -hmm. And by the time I was... 32, so around 9-11, this was quite old for me. It was kind mm -hmm. of like mowing the same lawn. I knew how to do it, but I didn't really have a passion for it. Okay. And I had some friends that were producing infomercials for the George Foreman Grill, and yeah. they were looking for a grocery store where they could do demonstrations, and I had this cooking kiosk in one of the grocery stores. So I arranged to have these video shoots happen a couple of times for them, and I was introduced to Sam Perlmutter, who was George Foreman's agent, Wow. Back a couple years earlier on a movie set, I'd been standing next to, next to Jeff Bridges, the dude. Mm -hmm. And I said to him, how do I go from being, a, you know, this day player actor at $800 a day to being a movie star? I want to be in your role. And he said, it's super simple. Make sure your dad is Lloyd Bridges. That's what me and my brother did. It was quite funny. <laughs> that is funny. That's fair enough. And he said, right, you know, if you write, you can always get a, move, a job in Hollywood because writing is the thing that they're always missing and the thing that they have a need for if you want to make movies. Yeah, so I, I took his advice and I wrote a couple movies. And uh, one of these movies I gave to Sam Perlmutter. And he took it on the airplane and called me when he landed and he said, I... I normally make Jean-Claude Van Damme action movies and do the funding and financing for those. I have no idea why I'm going to go out on a limb, but I'm going to buy an option on this screenplay for $6,000. So wow. I had a friend who had introduced me to him. And so the friend and I kind of quick huddled and said, okay, let's do, we'll do this deal together because you made the introduction and uh, I don't even know what happened to the money. It disappeared at some point, but that didn't matter. I was, I was kind of had a foot in the door and I had the confidence of writing. Supplemental to this, kind of at the same time, I had handed a screenplay to a customer in the store who was on a local afternoon talk show. And she was just the host of, it's a lifestyle show. Like, this is who's the author that's coming into town this week. This is what's playing at the theater. Let's talk about what's on the soap operas today, that kind of show. And unbeknownst to me, her sister was Kathleen Kennedy, who is the wow. producer of all of Steven Spielberg's movies. Right. And so within a matter of days, she had me on the phone with 
her sister, Kathleen Kennedy, reviewing these scripts, and she said, you know, you've got a knack for this. So the, the combination of all of those things pricked up the ears of my friend who was selling the George Foreman Grill, and he said, would you be interested in writing some advertising content for television? Some, mm -hmm. And I said, absolutely. Wow, and that's really amazing. I got fired yeah. from my job, which happens in life. Yeah, it does. Right, the a week before 9-11 and the week after 9-11, I was in business as a creative at an ad agency. Um, and it was mm -hmm. the most pivotal thing in my life. Uh, but that learning how to do cooking demonstrations in the store became, and the combination of being on set as an actor, watching how movies were made, those mm -hmm. two things added together became the beginning of my advertising career. Amazing. So for the last 25 years, I've been launching um, products primarily for uh, either startups or large corporations. So mm -hmm. um, we originally launched um, the GoPro camera, which I yeah. think that's the kind of thing that most people are most familiar with because we helped mm -hmm. take them from about 650 grand to about 650 million. Which is amazing, Ron. Really remarkable. Well, it was a great, pro, you know. That's one of those things, success has many fathers. When you have a really terrific, innovative product, the customer's gonna advertise it for you. So, mm -hmm. it, like I say, it's, it, at the, the beginning, it's taking the risk, it's, it's encouraging yourself to be at the right place at the right time and continuing to take risks. Because I've had a lot of failures too. It takes a, a lot of at-bats um, to get a few wins, but you only end up talking about the wins, but you really mm -hmm. learn more from the losses. That's a great nugget right there, everybody. You yeah. know, it's okay to have loss and, and have fails because you don't learn if you don't fail. I, fails to have some wins. <laughs> kind of goes yeah. with hand. <laughs> really, I mean, and people are very kind to me and say, hey, you're, you, you're really brilliant, you, did, you know, and you've got this great career. And I say thank you. But that, that is a combination of, really three things or four things i think probably there's good fortune of being in the right place at the right time there's making a lot of mistakes that you can learn from right. there's there's imitating people who have already done it and are excellent at it and then there's learning mm -hmm. I'm, a, I'm a big time learner researcher reader i spend about 80 percent of my work life in research and about 20 percent in execution because preparation creates so many shortcuts Mm -hmm. I give you an advantage that the, the real shortcut to success is failure and education. I agree. That, yeah. That's where mastery comes from is in the, you know, those repetitions. Mm -hmm. And so I think that we have this, if we go through this progression of we're a servant in life. And when I was in a restaurant or a grocery store, I certainly was a servant. Then someone puts you in charge of their business. Then you're a steward. You're, right. you're in some stewardship. And then once you've done stewardship a number of times, you get to kind of a journeyman status. And then once you've done a few zero to a hundred millions, then you get to, I, I think, a mastery status and you have a right to speak from that position. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think the right to speak from that position should be humility first. Because sure. everything in life is kind of backwards through my lens. I don't feel like I um, raised my kids. I feel like my kids raised me. I don't feel like mm -hmm. I was a man until I had kids. Mm -hmm. And I've learned, I've learned way more from being a father than having a father. 
And I love my father. Yeah. But I didn't, my character, I didn't understand compassion and empathy at, at nearly, or patience nearly at the level that have led me to where I currently am, which is I, I don't think of myself as being successful. I think of myself as being peaceful and, and enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Which is well, better. The, so watching your path and the decisions you've made in your life in the short time, in the few years that I've, and Steve and I have had a chance to know you, um, you've all very much been thoughtful uh, in your engagement of the people around you and where you invest your time which is another piece of why I love sharing stories like this, because you're the epitome, the, you, you live and lead by that, um, and you really are very grounded in your belief system and very clear in your mind in terms of what's really important to you and what the things you want to share. And I think everybody needs to lead that way this, these days especially, because there's yeah. so much interrupt out there. <laughs> well, yeah, I think the, the the world is an amusement park of distraction, mm-hmm. and it wants to. We all know that anything that is diffuse becomes ineffective. You know, mm-hmm. if we want to, if we want to, if we want to solve something chemically, we just keep adding water to it to clean it. We just water it down, but yeah. our time and our attention is that way. It's it, it is hard to accomplish anything in life if you're if you're fully engaged in being entertained or in the fray or I, you know, I look at our political system and I go, I don't believe that we have a two party system. I think we have a two ring circus. Yeah, I agree. That, of which we we and we really encourage our citizenry to pick a side and engage in a war that is not productive for them or their lives. Mm-hmm. And we don't we don't work on on coming together and coming to peaceful solutions. We're we're very interested culturally right now in all of our differences, 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 and not our commonalities. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's high risk. I am a person who uh, believes in God, and that's um, I don't shove that on anybody else, but it gives me great grounding in understanding for me that I was not delivered on this planet with three parts missing out of the box and i must go find those three parts in order to fulfill a mysterious mission of which i am unaware right good that's great (laughs) i i think that that's where we're often set up that way oh well you gotta go to college and you gotta do this thing and then you gotta find your purpose and then you gotta go it's like whoa 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 whoa. i mean i love joseph campbell and the hero's journey but at the same time god made you complete just exactly the way you wanted to. And we actually carry too much baggage and we put stuff on ourselves that stop us from being who we were when we got here. And if you learn to drop that stuff, including the guilt and the shame associated with that and start to look at the world, you know, all of our, all of our marketing in our, in our planet, in our lifetime, even our children's stories tell us we must get something. And in America, get is wealth and success is wealth. And we start chasing money. And the thing about chasing money is if that's what you set out to do, you take a hunter's mindset and you're actually trying to shake profit out of somebody else. Mm-hmm. There's a much, which is not the, that, that might be getting rich quick, but it's not wealthy long. And state wealth, 
um, having um, the stability of financial resources, and I'm not saying that's the purpose to life at all, but I know the path because I've done it multiple times with multiple people and then I advise on it all the time. The path is actually provide something to the world that is so beneficial and so irresistible that everybody is bugging you to take it from you. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you really approach the planet of what can I provide, you know, how do we get our place in the tribe in Maslow's hierarchy? Our first things are we need to have food and shelter and clothing and sustenance and air and water. But when you get to the second level, it's I got to have problem solving. I have to have curiosity. I have to have empathy. I have to have skill sets. It's in those second 10 where you find out in the tribe whether you're a hunter, a gatherer, a chief, a medicine man, a shaman. What mm -hmm. what are you? And the yeah. rest of the rest That's of our brilliant. world works that way is it's what can I bring to my tribal society and the more you deliver the less your hours generally are your input of hours is intense but it's brief right the 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 benefit that you reap back is great and the thing that you provided to the world will advertise itself I haven't made a GoPro camera commercial in 14 years the yeah. thing it's a great product. It goes by itself. I, I can't recall last time I saw a George Foreman commercial or an OxyClean commercial. <laughs> they go on. These things go on by themselves forever. Mm -hmm. Care toothbrushes go on by themselves forever. So what do you have? What problem can you solve in the world? Out of empathy, creativity, ingenuity, and perseverance, and through the failures, that's the recipe and right. anybody can do it that you, you notice I didn't include connections or intelligence because mm -hmm. uh, there's no requirement of connections or intelligence the connections come automatically if you're doing something great people want to get right. attached to it right the funding comes um, we've all seen stories of rags to riches folks that got funded right because the innovation was so good so do you have the courage to go home and write the two movies and hand them to the total stranger? Do you say, you know, right now I'm in the middle of directing a movie about Robert Kennedy Jr. I know. It's and, impressive. Well, it's, it, it, I'm finally at an age where someone approached me because they could see that the transaction of media, politics, they knew who I was and said, this guy's probably a good fit for this. And it's a very good mm -hmm. friend that asked me. But it's, again, that was a lot of prep, 35 years of preparation. 30 plus years, right, of life. someone ask. Timing in life, absolutely. And the learning that comes through those years and just putting yourself with purpose in front of the right opportunities. And it takes grit and tenacity and perseverance and all those things and i don't know about you ron but what i'm seeing out there i don't know and i don't want it to come off the wrong way but i do see a lack of grit and a lack of tenacity and a lack of you know that uh, that that hardcore work ethic i think people i don't know i felt it really after covid i really felt the difference just generally speaking in the workflow and the tolerance and the behaviors 
on the daily in terms of the interactions, you know, human to human interaction, whether it be through your work or through your personal life, through your children, what are your thoughts on that? And what are the solutions around it? Um, I'm not sure there's a solution around it because society's actually, I think, always been organized that way. It's the lens of what happened in COVID that made you stand out and start to review yourself. Um, I think you've always been that way. I think I've always been that way. I think that, and it's a choice. It's an opt-in for sure. But it's, as we know, there's an opt-in in life that 80% of people don't take. Right. They, That's a real number too. That ratio is so real. Yeah. If you just, I mean, you just look at anything in human history, you go, how many generals versus soldiers are there? How many, you know, how many leaders versus a lot of people don't want to think and want to be told what to do. I am not that person. To me, that would be torture. But to some people, they find incredible comfort in that. And right. I know some of those people. And I don't, I'm not dis, I'm not besmirching them. Society has always had leaders and followers. Mm -hmm. And that's those ratios have hold, held up in every culture that's ever been. So... Um, and, and I don't think it's two different types of beings. I just think it's a person who wants to opt in. You've always been a person with grit. And it's one of my favorite words because mm -hmm. grit, grit does say, hey, I'm going to, the weather comes and I'm going to put my head down and I'm going to go through it. Right. Whatever the weather <laughs> is. And, yeah. And there's other people that are like, I don't like the weather. I'm not going out. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, just right there, you can feel the 80-20 rule apply itself in that conversation. So I think that will always exist. I think what we're going through at this moment is a very unusual thing in history that will be looked back upon for forever, um, as much as uh, the Gutenberg printing press and the Iron Age. And that is the, we created computers in the 20th century, in the late 20th century, people got them in their homes and we saw the economy explode during the Clinton administration, but the thing that made it explode was home computing, was this access to information and making us all much more efficient. Right. And now we're transferring that efficient of marriage of human to machine to exclusively machine. And mm -hmm. now people are getting to the point of going, okay, what will we do as a species? And those of us who have, I say the grit, are the goofy people that are going out of town and getting chickens, and going, I better learn what my ancestors did so I can at least feed myself while I figure this out. Yeah. And while the transformation happens, I don't think, and I think there's some people that think we're all crazy, but at the same time, they they all come up to me, you're so lucky for living out in the country with chickens and goats. I think I need to find a way to do that. Because mm -hmm. people feel that this is shift. And when, if things go the direction they're going, all of the banking, finance, and commerce will be on a blockchain, and someone will have access to the information of what you do all of the time financially. Mm -hmm. That's terrifying. Yeah. We used to be able to go down to the store with a $20 bill and anonymously buy whatever we want. Mm -hmm. But now if every transaction becomes recorded and analyzed, then everything that you see in your media will be created specifically for you to encourage you to make more transactions because that's what mm -hmm. makes the economy go faster is that speed. Right. But where is your revenue going to come from in order to be a consumer? And I think that mm -hmm. that's what we're all going. Yeah. 
how many jobs will be left? What will they look like? What will people do? Mm -hmm. So I encourage people to run more apps on themselves. When you say I'm a writer and I'm a cook and I'm, I am, those to me are apps. Mm -hmm. Whenever I hear somebody say, oh, I don't think I could do that. I go, go learn it. You are a, you sound you're like a human being with limbs and a brain. There's absolutely nothing you cannot learn how to do. You're like, your phone can't do something. You download an app. Mm -hmm. Do you really think your iPhone is smarter than you? No, it is not. It's a, it's a machine. You're a human. If you want to learn how to do it, go put the effort and become a Swiss army knife. Learn right. how to communicate. Learn how to write. Learn how to think. Learn how to build. Learn. I have a 26-year-old son who, 27-year-old son, we live in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Through the other night, we had a storm. There were cows in the road. Black Angus in the middle, underneath a tree, couldn't oh, see them. Oh, they gosh. took both. He's threaded this group of cows and took both mirrors off the car. The rest of the car oh, was no. untouched. Both oh. the mirrors, gone, gone. And I'm like, well, this is going to be expensive. I come home the next day. He's out in the driveway with a brand new Jetta. I wouldn't consider taking one of my cars apart. And he's out there. He's got a YouTube video and he's got the mirrors he ordered. And he replaced electronic mirrors and the whole thing in his car by himself. And I, ha I had to sit back and go, that's my boy. Mm -hmm. And I think that we all have that capacity. Right. You're right. Yeah. You and Steve think the same way that way. I always say there's 24 hours in the day. Got to pick which minute you're going to do what thing. Well, yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to take my own gotta... appendix. I'm not going to take my own appendix out. Yeah. But, I, you know, I'm, but I am going to know that it's my appendix that's hurting. Right. Exactly. That's smart. That's really smart. So leaping back, because we kind of skipped over it, because the JFK movie is a really big deal. What do you think comes from that? What is it that spearheaded the thought process that it was time to? Well, this is RFK. So Robert Kennedy Jr. Yeah. So what did so I just say? Yeah. JFK, yeah. It's, it's I, did, I said JFK. <laughs> I was well, just reading the book last night about it. You're wrong person. <laughs> yeah. No, people were asking me all the time, why are you making a movie about RFK? He's been dead. For yeah. No, 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 it's, it's his mm. son. So what had happened was, um, Robert Kennedy wrote a book called uh, The Real Anthony Fauci. Mm -hmm. And that book got him pretty much banned from all media. Mm -hmm. Reason being is he went after the pharmaceutical industry. He has been kind of after the bad ingredients in good pharmaceuticals for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, and the media, you probably are aware, because I ask people all the time, they'd say, hey, what are you working on? I tell them, and the first thing that comes out of their mouth, they go, oh, the anti-vaxxer. Oh. Now, where does that idea come from? And as a person who has a background in now programming people psychologically through media, I will tell you where it comes from. It comes from every time he's introduced in the media. In every news story you hear, that is the introduction that they give. Mm, interesting. So he's been branded that. Um, he is not that. Um, but he wrote this book and what I didn't know, I just wasn't aware of it, but once I became aware of it, it became obvious about 70 to 80% of all for all news programming in this country comes from pharmaceutical ads because the people who watch the news on television are of age to want pharmaceuticals. Mm -hmm. You actually can't, um, 
advertise pharmaceuticals in, I think, the United States and New Zealand are the only two countries that allow it. So oh, gen generally, it's not allowed. Now, the, the thing that became paired with that was the deregulation of industry in the late 80s, I think, under Reagan and early 90s, some things that was happened under the Clinton administration. Um, that's when we got, uh, we removed the fair reporting. So that news, when we were young, if you're a young person, you won't believe this. If you're our age, you will go, oh, this is absolutely true. Uh, you used to hear both sides of the news. It was a very down the middle when Walter Cronkite was delivering it 40, 30 right. years ago. There were two mm -hmm. sides because the media was, there was a compliance issue that they had to give both sides of the story. That rule went away and thus came the rise of MSNBC, Fox, and CNN with these polarized, propagandized perspectives that are really kind of party driven mm -hmm. back to this two ring circus. Right. So now you have news media that is funded by the pharmaceutical industry. They're going to keep this guy off the news. They don't like him. They don't want any reporting. They don't want him to get any attention. His book sold a million copies on Amazon without anybody else carrying it. So mm. this to me became um, more of a censorship issue. And the more I dug into who Robert Kennedy was, I, I got to see how he was taking, he's taking votes from the left and he's taking votes from the right. Mm -hmm. And I think part of it is as you could see these industries backing the news, if you looked at Congress as though it was a NASCAR race, yeah. and all of, if all of our politicians wore jackets with who sponsored them, they would have defense contractors, oil companies, pharmaceutical companies, banks, food corporations, gun lobbyists, they would have stickers all over them. This guy doesn't have any stickers. So interesting. So kind of how when Trump came in and they were like, this guy's a wild card, this guy's a wild card, and he has the charisma and the thinking of a Kennedy, um, which is, to me, it's disruptive. You said I'm, I like stir the pot, and this is a yeah. little bit of a stir is I would like to see a change in America based upon a clear conversation. Right. Um, of working with what you think is your opposition. And, and Robert Kennedy over his career as an environmental lawyer and um, you know bringing lots of lawsuits based on law against the Monsantos and the ConAgras and the you know, Mercs of the world. Um, has learned in many times and has there's many cases in his life where he's actually ended up working for the opposition and this process is quite simple it's identify a problem make sure it's really a problem mm -hmm. see if there's laws that that could be enacted to solve the problem then engage both parties of both sides in a discussion then collect the scientific evidence that supports the fact of what the problem is then right. go to court and oftentimes you're getting uh, like the small farmer and the large corporation to work together to not pollute to both of their advantages long term. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's what politics ought to be. Ought to be. Agree. And it's, it's not. Now it's become a profit model where the consumer is being captured digitally. Mm -hmm. And that pretty soon large pharma comp banks 
I'll give you another example. Here's a, here's a fight that's been absolutely manufactured. Should we forgive student loan debt? So that's what a consumer hears. And then they bifurcate into two parties and go, no, you signed up for that loan. It's your responsibility. You're a grown-up. You knew what you were doing. Pay your dang loan. The other side says, no, you don't understand. These things escalate in cost. They'll never get paid. It's a racket. And the rates are 18% or something. Nobody asks why. So for the last 20 years in this country, money was almost free. Why did neither side say, why don't we take the payments and move them to zero interest and let people pay off the principal like we would do for a loan to General Motors? Right. That's the solution. But there's a why that we don't want the solution. Because back in the 90s, these loans were handed out by the government to students. And under one of our administrations, they went, not just colleges, let's give them to everybody who wants to go to a vocational school or the art institute. And they started to flood the market with as many of these loans and get people to sign up for as many as possible under a government program. Then they moved the government program into a private corporation called the Navient Corporation. And many of our were stockholders in that company. Mm -hmm. And so all of these student loans are now being paid to this essentially fiduciary that's outside the government and its stockholders are benefiting greatly. Interesting. So what the current argument is, is let's reduce their loans by, oh, a $600 billion payment. So what is actually happening is $600 billion of debt is being added to the existing taxpayer base. And you and I as taxpayers in this country, I think currently owe about $350,000 each to the national debt. So we're going to add debt, then make a payment to pay those loans down to a private corporation while we unroll the corporation and put all of the loans back under the Department of Education. So those stockholders are getting a balloon payment and the public is unaware of it and the things being federalized again instead of privatized because the age of the people that invested in the company, they're aging out. Yeah, it's a great time for a balloon payment dump all that back on the taxpayers. And you've probably never heard that story before. No, I'm Why sure not? most haven't. Nobody has because it won't get reported on mm -hmm. because our government and corporations and banks have captured the news media. Mm -hmm. And remember how many newspapers, newspaper writers and journalists there were in 1985 and how the newspaper business got consolidated and these guys are all journalists working from home and the network is much smaller. Now everybody's a syndicated columnist. Well, a syndicated columnist means instead of 50 columnists, there's five. Mm -hmm. Everybody used to belong to a newspaper. Now they belong to a network. So you consolidate the communications network. You consolidate the power. Wow. And we're in a, like I said, this is a historic thing with AI right. coming on board. Like, who is in the cage and who is not in the cage? And our society is going to look very different in just 10 years from now than it does right now. And I don't know what it's going to look like. Right. Right.
So do you, I do believe there's an undercurrent, like the clarity behind it is not art articulated the way you just laid it out. I believe the undercurrent or the discomfort, if you will, or the awareness that there are rumblings, or like there's an awareness of an unsettling feeling, but no one can really wrap their head around it or articulate it in a way. I would loop that back to what I call glitter and distraction, like full circle. It's this kind of movement of, I need to ground myself. I need to focus on my family. I need to focus on my environment. I need to go all in on the work that I know is valuable and that I know that I can help people and still earn an income. And they're kind of spinning within this singular, a lot of, a lot of independent thinkers without a collaborative effort to really problem solve on the bigger issues. Does that make sense? It makes absolute sense. And, you know, I, I, every day, I look at human beings as though we're all a work in progress, but we're all responsible. We're carving ourselves. We're all responsible for our work in progress. Right. So when I go out into the world, I meet adults and there's kind of a, a, an evaluation going on in the back of my mind. And it is how old is this person? And I don't mean how old they are in years. I mean, how old they are as a being. And mm -hmm. if you interact with people, you can realize you're, you can run into 40, 50, 60 year olds, seven year olds and 14 year olds and 20 year olds. People's minds are in a place of uh, maturity or immaturity as opposed to where they are. Right. And then you look at the lifestyle that's associated and you'll be able to very easily go, oh, that person is behaving maybe in social media as if they are in junior high. Mm -hmm. That person's behaving as if they're in high school. That person's behaving as if they're a grad student. That person's behaving as though they're the wise counsel in the back room. Like you, we are all at some tier of our own intellectual and emotional maturity, but we don't recognize that in each other. And we meet each other with the demands that the world is in the exact same developmental place that we are. And we don't even right. recognize that there's other, other levels of existence out there. Mm -hmm. So I think there's just so much in evaluating what you're looking at. Right. Do you know what you're looking at when you're looking at it? Um, and a lot of that has to do with personal development of how how willing am I to look at my flaws and my history in the mirror, forgive myself and correct them. Mm -hmm. Same thing with the people around me. Because mm -hmm. the less emotional nonsense I bring, distraction I bring, the more focus I have. So the less glitter I fall. Mm-hmm. Falling into the, of following into the world of glitter is um, falling into the world of your own reflection. Mm -hmm. That's still at a level of how do I feel about myself if I get drawn in by the glitter. That's you're still trying to figure right. yourself out in many right. ways. That's most people. Yeah. That's a lot of people. And I don't besmirch anybody for that. I, I've gone through that process and probably still in the midst of it myself. Yeah. But it's, like it's a constant battle of your own ego and identity versus the world. Yeah. I also had to let go of, I need to do something important or I need to do something that makes me famous 
or because our society is like a very good friend of mine and I were talking the other day and we came to the realization that for many people, their thinking is first get famous, then I'll get rich, then I'll be happy, then people will envy me. Like, I don't seek the envy of anybody. You, you, there's a place where you opt out and you go, I'm going to silently sit back here and hope that history doesn't remember me because the people that they remember generally murdered a lot of people. No. <laughs> you know, you no. invent something or you murder people. That's, that's kind of how history works. Yeah. You're, you're, yeah. That's, that's totally valid, Ron. It's totally valid. It so, really is. So I, I find my happiness in going, we, considering that eight and a half billion people are alive and probably twice that have died already on the planet, Mm -hmm. and how many we remember i'm going to be one of the unremembered yeah so <laughs> i doubt that's true but <laughs> but no but by i want to be remembered by the right people and i think there's yeah. there's on a day-to-day -day basis the the first thing you can do is surround yourself with the right mm -hmm. folks like I you're agree. the right folks and i agree 100 percent with that and i think a lot of people miss the boat on that right there it's like you know you put your, you, I always say, put a, the right team, De, depending on what the problem is, uh, the workflow for me every day with the problem solving, put, you gotta, we gotta figure out what your team is. What's the team that's gonna get you to this next place that you wanna go? What's that team look like? You know, whatever it is, selling a house, go through a divorce, lose a spouse, wanna start a business, you know, whatever problem solving there is, um, and making it valuable, like really thoughtful about who that team is. So you're moving the needle, right? I think that if everybody led that way, there'd be a lot less problems in the world if they actually yeah. led that way. Yeah, and I think it permeates everything, just the thinking of that permeates everything from the physics of the universe to the physics of our immediate surroundings. You know, we have black holes in the universe that are dark and they suck light out of the universe. Mm -hmm. We have those people in our lives. Yeah. And I think light gets fed and darkness gets fed in opposition to each other. So with inside of ourselves, we have a darkness and a light. And if we can give over to the light and become a lighter being and then select people around us that are light, I kind of look at the world as like, they say, oh, the world's not black and white. And that's probably true. But mm -hmm. there's people that, that I know are light and produce goodness and light in the world. And the more I surround myself with those people, the more weight I have in that community because I provide strong value. So I become a heavier light right. on, that, on that side of the rubber mat and I get a larger circle of influence and those people have a larger circle of influence. And I think the same happens on the dark. Mm -hmm. And if you are on, if you are on the, you're always in this kind of tug of war, but if you're, if you find power in yourself, in the light and the people around you, as you skirt the edge of darkness, you start to pull people from the dark side into the light side. Mm -hmm. And light so wins true. and it grows. And the projects you work on, when you surround yourself with terrific people, um, are naturally fed. I believe that's God blessing them. Other people will say it's energy, but those things get blessed and they grow naturally and wonderfully. And on mm -hmm. the other side, it's cancer growing. Mm. The dark has its own cancer. It has its own form of growth, but it's cancer, and we know it when we see it. Yeah. And yeah. The, the fundamental things that 
are hardwired inside of you are probably true. When you were a little kid, you could tell the difference between a good guy and a bad guy. Right. People on, and now we're training ourselves. Oh no, culturally, I can't do that. I'm, I'm not, I'm supposed to deny the sense of that person's giving me a bad vibe and that person gives me a great vibe. I've got to be fair. Otherwise I'm not, you're not fair. Mm-hmm. First of all, the, the illusion that you're fair is an illusion. You are an, yeah. you are completely un, an unfair being. Well, and I think that nails it on the head right there again with the disconnect or the the uh, inability to have clarity every day with people. The the world is being trained to not trust in those gut instincts and that everything has to live in this neutral place and this accepting place, whether it's good, evil, positive, healthy, like there's this middle ground now that everybody everything's living in and things don't thrive in the middle (laughs) like things do not grow and thrive in that place so it's going to be interesting to see how i think there's a lot of human beings out there ron that think like you and i think i just don't think they're vocal about it necessarily you know they don't necessarily share their thoughts but fundamentally instinctually they're there and when push comes to shove instinct drives the decision making when the, the time comes you know nobody's being pushed hard enough yet yeah and and that's i think that's people will give themselves over to what they're naturally inclined to give themselves over to, to based, based upon their psychological and spiritual development so there's a lot of people that and you see this right now are pushed by fear mm-hmm. and the system's promoting fear and fear isn't a whole lot of good doesn't come out of fear a whole lot of disorganization Hmm. And we've all seen enough movies to know that the masses that do not survive are the people that operated in fear and scramble. And it's people of purpose um, survive to a certain degree. We all die, but you've lived with purpose at least. Mm-hmm. So I would, my choice is, do I live in fear or do I live with purpose? That's a super easy choice when I make it that binary. I'm like, right. oh, I got to choose purpose and I better just forget about fear and run in that direction. Because fear's not, it's not, it's our survival instinct, but if it becomes your dominant instinct, you're going to make bad decisions. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So, you know, I, many probably don't know, uh, I mean, I know a lot of people do know that your back history, but you do a lot of coaching, Ron, and mentoring work to thousands of people you've um, provided insight to. How does one seek out if they've got how does one find you and how much time do you have in terms of securing and identifying who you can bring into your mastermind group or counsel as an individual? How does that workflow work for you with all that you have going on? Right. So again, to automate what I can and what I can't. So one of the, um, there's two people, that, types of people that generally come to me, a person with a, a company that's trying to grow the company or an individual that's trying to grow themselves. Mm-hmm. And the individual that grows themselves, I have a, an automated program. It's a 13-week online program that requires you to do homework. And if you don't do the homework, you get thrown out. Like the real world, you get fired. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's called the Marketing Mercenary. So I've taken about 400 people through that program. Now that it's automated, but I check in on their homework and give comments every all, all throughout the course. And what they learn is 
back to the beginning of our conversation, kind of this Maslow's hierarchy of tribal, where does money come from? Um, and when you start to change your beliefs about what money actually is and that it comes from service, at least if it's going to be wealth instead of extraction. Right. Um, it, and you, you learn to approach things from that perspective. Then you learn what it takes, what the ingredients of a successful product are. And there's really four ingredients. And that's you want to have an innovation because you want to be doing something that's solving a problem that no one else is solving. So that's mm -hmm. your first road to success. You want to have an audience that needs it. The right. business must have margin and you must be able to tell the story about it. Mm -hmm. So I teach people how to do that. Then I walk them through copy and this. So that's kind of a, 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 be, a beginner's level type program. Then I do occasionally do a film camp where I take four or five people for a week and I teach them how to make a movie. Well, that's cool. every, every role on set. So they, they learn how to become a director without being a jerk because they've worked in the camera department and the lighting department and the sound department and the food department and everything. Mm -hmm. so, that's, so that's that part of the world. Then I have business people that approach me for coaching and I only take on about three or four a year and I spend an hour to two hours a week with each one of those people one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, and for instance, I have a guy who is in the consumer goods place. He was running his company as we do our taught in America pyramid. I'm the king at the top and I have all these servants below me and the customers at the bottom. And I invert that. So it's a pinball machine and the cool. customers are pinballs and everybody does customer service and solves the problems. And then as the leader, then you only have two flippers. I make policy decisions about uh, customer service and new innovations in the company and finance. Okay, that is a nugget, man. That's awesome. <laughs> when you run your company that way, that's how these guys can run four or five companies. When you look at a person and go, how is this person running five companies? It's because they're only, like Musk isn't running any of his companies. Right. He are front man for all the companies, but he has financial power and he has influence over the innovation. So the mm -hmm. Cybertruck came out and he said, the design's ugly. It's got to be more like Legos. And right. Here's the products we're going to. So he's only making a couple decisions and then promoting that idea. And that's actually a pretty ideal way. So in this process with this individual, we took him from 25 million to, I think we're going to do 60 million in 12 months. And he's been at 25 million for years. Like he had hit this threshold and he was able to double. And now his, the great thing is his workload was about 80 hours a week and now it's eight. And so he's wow. starting the second and the third company. Wow. So there's, there's that. Um, if you want to read stuff that I, like, I write, um, you can find me at RonnieLynch.com. That, that's my blog site, and it's got books and things, and I'm happy to send anybody anything as a PDF for free. I'm not in the, awesome. I'm not in the business of making money off of books. I'm in the business of spreading some truth for folks. So mm -hmm. there's, there's another place to find me. Really, really brilliant, Ron. I mean, I could talk to you for hours. Steve and I always love picking your brain. You know that. I just have, you know, I've felt that this opportunity for anyone who has the time to listen will learn so much from you. You're really a truly philanthropic spirit. That's just so impressive. So lots of nuggets. Is there any one last thing you want to uh, you know, lead with before we finish our interview with you today? 
Yeah, and it, maybe it's too spiritual for people, but I don't really care. Is that yeah. we we come here, like I said, like we don't not missing parts. We're radios. Mm-hmm. Um, we we have this thing called spirit, and in in my faith, it's the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is actually like the cellular network of water in your body, in the environment, and that water conducts information to you. And I think the part of the word is the, the body's a temple. Well, the body's a temple, and a temple is just a building, right? Spirit must come into it. So when I hear people say, oh, God lives in me, I say, does he? Because you have to turn the radio on and you have to ask for the signal. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a critical step. And we live in, in, in an audio environment in this realm. I will tell you from making movies for years, the soundtrack is as important as the picture. I say, speak out loud to your creator, thank him for this experience, invite him in for wisdom and guidance. If you look at the Lord's Prayer, he does not ask you to send selfies. He doesn't say you need to wear these shoes. He doesn't say pray for stuff. He says, pray for wisdom, guidance, and thank him for the sustenance. Mm -hmm. If you have wisdom and guidance, you're gonna get through life great because you're following his map for you mm-hmm. and it's already written so i guess the very last nugget attached to that is if you think of the world as past present and future try to grab the present it's very difficult because everything that you think is the present just became the past mm-hmm. so there's an entire possibility that your life is already complete it already works out great it's what day did you decide to turn the radio on and ask for the voice to guide you? And you'll see a pivot in the way that your life goes from that moment on. You'll feel the wind at your back. You'll feel support when you're down. You'll know how to love people better. You'll have empathy, tenderness, and mercy for others, which I lived for 40 years without. Mm-hmm. And once I got that, I was like, oh, this is what actually makes it easy is caring about other people in a very profound way. Right. And that's, it's not complicated. We overcomplicate it because of the glitter. That's brilliant. I mean, the way you speak it is brilliant. And really, I think many struggle uh, to verbalize it in that beautiful way. So that's an awesome way to close out a beautiful message, Ron. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on, I appreciate it. Yeah, so the the links are just never ending. So we're gonna include all of the intel down below when we um, post this out to everybody. Uh, We'll be on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter. We we make sure this is living on uh, YouTube, everyone. Uh, check out Ron Lynch. Ron, always beautiful, always brilliant. Such a privilege. Thank you so much for taking uh, Thanks such for taking the time. time. I, appreciate, appreciate I appreciate it. Safe travels home, too. Thank you. Yeah, everybody knows we're in sunny Florida because we just opened our office down there. So thank you very much, Ron. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, everybody. We will see you next week on Fly the Coop. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Fly the Coop. Be sure you subscribe to the show and leave us a review. I sure would appreciate it. We'll see you next time in the coop.